All right, as promised, I am joined now by Aaron Taylor, college football analyst for CBS Sports, colleague on Inside College Football, uh, good friend and uh, former double All-American at Notre Dame. Aaron, welcome. Hey, Randy, how are you, my man? Good to be back on. Doing good. Doing very, very good. Hey, have you paid much attention to spring practices and spring games? Uh, I guess in our business, you sort of set the DVR and catch them when you can catch them, right? <laughs> so I'm not the only one that does that? No, no, no. Not, not when they're like half a country away. It's Thank goodness, thank goodness for the DVR. Oh, man. They come fast and serious. Uh, they're glorified scrimmages that are very controlled and moderated, but they do uh, kind of hold the keys and the elements and the building blocks of what we're going to expect for this 2019 season. So I, like you, man, I think a lot of people that aren't out on the road uh, and can't crisscross the country to watch a spring game, uh, I tape them, and I start watching them slowly but surely starting towards the end of April and through May. And that's also when I start making my phone calls and talk to the coaches, get a better idea from them about what they're going to be expecting for the upcoming season. But, man, it just kind of seemed like football went right into basketball in March Madness, and here we are at spring football again. I uh, I don't know about you, man, but the older I get it, the, the faster it seems, the time and the years and the seasons start to go by. It will accelerate, don't worry. <laughs> it gets it gets <laughs> it gets faster. Hey, what 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 are your feelings on this whole transfer protocol and the portal and um yeah, you hear a lot of opinions on it from various people most of whom were would never even be privy or part of the process, but you know, it it's it's hard for me not to look at a good number of these transfers sort of bailouts as you know it, it got tough things didn't go their way so heck i'll just go somewhere else that's certainly i think some of the unintended consequences that i think we all were worried about myself included um i, I just it's interesting man when you look at this thing macro uh at some point i think parents went from wanting things in, in a better lifestyle for their kids and have things better than they had it but at some point, it seems like it turned and, and parents nationwide wanted things easier for kids. And I think when you're talking about elite athletes, this kind of sense of entitlement is even more pronounced. So that was one of the things I was worried about, to your point, is, man, if a kid comes to campus, doesn't like it, or his coach yells at him, or he's not going to start, he can just simply put his name in the portal and bounce. And we've seen some of that, but we've also seen some healthy examples where guys have been able to make a change and uh, be immediately eligible and um, make a switch to different places. There's an interesting shift that's going on in the NCAA, in my opinion, and it seems to be a lessening or loosening, rather, of the rules because we've seen uh, an exorbitant amount of players that have been able to not only enter the porthole but have filed waivers and been granted immediate eligibility. Yeah, really really quickly, too. Yeah, so something's amiss, and I don't know if it's um, a concerted effort on their part to want to actually do the right thing, if there's internal pressures where um, there's something that hasn't been overtly stated, but 
it's unique to me and it's unprecedented. So I think more to be revealed, but it's certainly some interesting times, man. The, uh, the NCAA is proving right now that it's willing to make some changes and there seems to be more and more legislation that's been coming down the pipe. Yeah. To, to me, and I'd love to get your thoughts. It, it, it seems the powers that be call them the NCAA, call them to call them the playoff system, whatever. Um, they know they don't have a great case for holding players feet to the fire as far as their commitments, uh, especially in court, and that they are more flexible and they have been more willing to let guys do stuff. I mean, I, I look back here at Georgia with the case of Justin Fields and the incident as he's leaving the field in the stadium and the name calling and the racially charged atmosphere on that. And when I saw that brought up and then he was granted that that waiver at Ohio State so quickly, and then that was followed by bang, 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 bang. Other guys that were just going to be able to leave and be eligible. Um, it, it seems like they're making this up as they go along. It does, and I, I think it's going in the direction, obviously, of loosening them. And in some cases, that's a good thing. And, and I think my opinion of the Justin Fields is, that's probably the 10th or 11th time that something like that has been said to him. Those things got said to me in South Bend, Indiana. Um, but it's, it's seemingly from the outside, it seems like, oh, man, that was just the excuse that they used and they allowed him to be able to make the transfer. I think what kind of is bubbling up underneath this is that coaches are freely able to make a decision and change their location to improve their situation seemingly at will. You know, you have coaches that aren't even successful in the collegiate ranks and are able to leave and, and sign a contract at USC and then become the head coach of an NFL franchise uh, willy-nilly. So I think the, the two sides of the camp have historically been what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander, and it seems to me that the NCAA right now is trying to make it better for the gander. But I think you're right. I think what's happening is in the court of law, they're realizing they really don't have a leg to stand on in certain cases with respect to this notion of amateurism with this billion-dollar industry that's bringing in tons of money that every major stakeholder is seeing these exponential increases of revenue. Everybody's appreciated that and enjoyed that disproportionately to what the student-athletes are. So I think these things that we're seeing now, I expect them to, to continue to make it a little bit more equitable so that the economic or that the, the pieces of the puzzle that are driving this economic engine also can enjoy some of the freedoms and flexibilities that the other stakeholders have. Hey, this coming week, this Thursday, it, it kicks off. Besides being my birthday, um, the NFL draft, 25th, 26th, 27th. Um, what are your memories of your draft year and that day and that, mem- and that morning? Is there one sort of experience from that day that sticks out the most? I was pretty drunk by the time I talked to Ron Wolf, our general manager, when I went at the, at the 16th pick overall, man. I was supposed to be the fourth or fifth, or excuse me, fifth or sixth to Tampa the Rams, Tampa the Rams, Tampa the Rams. And I had played my entire senior year and won the Lombardi as a left tackle in a right-handed stance. And for any of the listeners that played offensive line, they'll know how comical that is. Um, but I was, I was a guard, but I was being projected that high to be a tackle and when that didn't happen, when I didn't go to the Tampa or the Rams, I kind of started to spiral downward. I didn't go at seven and at eight, at nine and ten. And finally, 
I got down to the 16 spot. Green Bay that year had the 20th pick, and they elected to trade up four spots with, I believe, Miami to be able to take me and block for this hot shot new quarterback that they like, some kid named Brett Favre. <laughs> so I elected to not go to the to the draft in New York City. I wanted to be at home in my living room with my mom and a couple of my friends from college and my high school coach, Bob Lattisher, and a couple others, and just watch it on TV. And I remember it being a very anxiety-filled day. I was really nervous. I, I realized that there was a great opportunity for me to live out my lifelong dream, but you don't know where. And that's a significant impact on what your experience is going to be is not if you're going for guys like me and you, we kind of knew that, but where you're going to go. Because had I been taken at the 15th pick or at the 17th pick, I still would have made approximately the same amount of money, but I wouldn't have a Super Bowl ring. So where you go is significant in terms of situationally what you're going to be able to accomplish. And I think all of that collectively made it a pretty stressful and then a pretty celebratory day at the end after I got drafted. Yeah, for for me, I, I was called by two teams. Uh, the first one was the Cleveland Browns uh, about how I, how I felt about being a Cleveland Brown. And my only response to the offensive line coach that called me was, Cleveland, like Ohio? Snows a lot there, doesn't it? <laughs> that didn't go over real well. Uh <laughs> Then San Francisco, and that worked out pretty good um, for 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 me at least. Um, you know, I, I was really interested in what you do because you you're currently sort of a jack of many 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 trades. You've got a lot of hats. You know, you you started the Joe Moore Award, recognizing the top offensive line in the country. You know, you've got the college football analyst hat you wear, um, among others, during the college football season. And you've done a lot of uh, speaking, research, and pretty dedicated to the whole issue of mental health, especially as it pertains to those of us that played professional football or even that played football, period, and suffered any kind of traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, I, I, I look at it through the framework of I've done some research and speak on health, and not just our health in general, but specifically that gray matter between our ears, that squishy stuff, that mandula oblongata, uh, our brains and our brain health and our brain health performance as it's tied to our on-field or off-the-field performance or just overall ability to enjoy life and accomplish our dreams and reach our goals and those sort of things has been really interesting and fascinating to me. Um, a 30 for 30 just came out on a former teammate and friend of mine, Junior Seau, and, and I'm in that. And I, I was pretty fortunately and unfortunately to kind of watch the devolution of him and the slow decline. And I think what we now know about CTE, what we now know about traumatic brain injuries, both in elite athletes as football players, but also in the elite forces and what that causes on the back end and the secondary conditions associated with impulse control, with anger and violence, with addiction, with deep depression, with completed suicides. Uh, To me, it was something that I wanted to learn more about, not only for myself, but to do what I've always kind of done, and that's be a good teammate and be an advocate for guys that I sat in the huddle with, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So I've kind of entrenched myself here in in Southern California in the brain research arena. I certainly speak about my own battles with depression and anxiety and the mental health struggles and challenges that I had early on 
as a kid from childhood divorce, being sexually abused at five years old by an adult male family member, uh, from moving around a lot, um, from suffering physical abuse with extended friends of the family. Like there's some stuff I had gone through at an early age. And I think what I did is I turned to football as kind of my way out. And I looked at it and said, hey, if I can achieve some ridiculous level of greatness playing this sport, it's going to eradicate all these things that have gone on in my past. Well, that wasn't quite the case because I had a pretty successful career, but I still had all this stuff stuffed away in these trunks and compartments in my body and in my neurology that I had to start to unwind. So that's been a slow, steady uh, grind for me, but it's one that I'm winning. And it's a battle that fortunately can be won, but a lot of us, a lot of people don't understand that there's a way out for all of us. And what I'm trying to do is illuminate some of those pathways out and some of those ways that we can better the everyday things that we go through that are so common, but none of us are talking about. So that's been kind of my mission, man, to shine a light on what my experience has been and um, it's working. Yeah. I, I, in in my whole experience, when it comes to the issue, uh, whether it's CTE, mental health, the TBIs, whatever, um, I hear a lot from fans and maybe not even fans of football, but people out there um, that have absolutely zero sympathy for anybody that played the game because they say you knew exactly what you were getting into. And I tend to, that kind of pisses me off, to be honest with you. And I tend to get a little bit aggressive and push back on that. How do you react when you hear that kind of thing out of a fan that, oh, you guys knew exactly what you were getting into. You know, my first instinct is to say, you know what, BS. <laughs> we were lied to. We didn't know what we were getting into. Yeah, that that's the, the informed consent, right? I mean, that's the critical issue, what we're talking about here. And um, there was more that was known than was relayed is what I think was true. It's not what I think was true. It's what I know was true for our era. And there's some things that I'm privy to that went on and memos that circulated around that indicated that there was a strong and definite knowledge between the link between head injuries, concussions, and CTE and other uh, TBI-related issues. So the informed consent piece, that's the piece that pisses me off. Now, the flip side of that, and where I think fans are coming from now, is that, hey, we've shined the light on this deal these modern young guys know what's going on. And when they went initially, I think it was five or six years ago, and they put some legislation in the league about, you know, no head contact whatsoever. And then all of a sudden we started seeing these lower strike zone injuries with lower mm-hmm. extremities. And there was these ACLs coming on guys were like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You're messing with my money with my bread makers now. And then it's starting to loosen back up and is kind of what it is now. It's an it's a interesting, difficult, complex conversation. And the reality for me is I knew I wasn't supposed to drink and drive or have unprotected sex. Unfortunately, in my 20s and 30s, I thought I was different, and I went ahead and I did those things anyway. And I paid some prices and didn't pay other prices that I probably should have paid, but I would have done it anyway. And here's the reality for me. Given what I've received from the game of football, I would absolutely go back and play again. I would approach things differently. I think I'd be more proactive. 
and how I looked at it and what I approached it and how I would treat my brain health. But given what I was given, all things being equal, I think all of us would go back and play. I certainly would. However, with my two boys who are 10 and 9 in good faith, given the impulse control and the addiction and the anger and all those things we talked about earlier that are in our family to begin with, let alone uh, get exacerbated with this other stuff we're doing, in good faith in a father, that's a difficult decision for me to cross that bridge if and when I come to it is whether or not I'm going to let them play. Yeah. My approach is I'm putting them into other sports and, and letting them enjoy other things. They're physiologically, they're long and have length, so there's other things that I think they're going to be more successful at long term. But it, the frustrating part is the lack of sympathy about what people are going through. And that's the key issue to me there, Randy, is the destigmatization of what mental health is. Yeah. It's the, the be tough, suck it up. Never let them see a sweat, win at all costs. Well, that's great on the football field, but when that's the opinion of the general public, it makes it that much harder for us to be able to take the helmet off, drop the bullshit, and really get real and have some real talk about the things that we're all going through on a daily basis. So that, to me, is my approach, is I want to increase awareness. I want to destigmatize what it is that is common that we go through, and I want to increase those avenues to access and if we can approach the conversation from that standpoint, I think we would have a lot better outcomes than we're currently experiencing, like we saw in the 30 for 30 regarding Junior Seau that launched last week. All right. Hey, Aaron, thank, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, enjoy your off season. Get down to Mexico. Go fishing. I know you love to do that with your, <laughs> with your boys. And, uh, yeah, it'll be July, August soon enough. All right? Thanks again. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. All right, Aaron. Bye-bye.